With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the 66 to 87 podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. I am your host, Tom Reed, and today, joined by Dave Molinari. Uh, Taylor Haas is on a well-deserved uh, week-long vacation. She'll be back with us here in uh, maybe Thursday or, or certainly next week. But Dave, uh, a lot to get to here in uh, uh, during the next half hour. Uh, start out with some uh, some news from a former Penguin, uh, Mark Andre Fleury, who up until about three or four days ago was probably the leading candidate or among the leading candidates for the Conn Smythe Award uh, given to the best uh, MVP of the playoffs, and right now finds himself uh, out of the lineup after a uh, a, a gaff. In at the end of Game Three, which cost the uh, cost the, the Golden Knights uh, a win and uh, ended up losing that game in overtime, and Pete DeBoer, uh, the coach of the Golden Knights, uh, made a huge call going into Game Four with his team down two games to one. Uh, decided to go back to Robin Leonard uh, in goal. Uh, this was a a subject of contention last year, particularly for. Uh, for uh, Flurry's agent, uh, when when uh, DeBoer uh, kind of leaned on Robin Leonard in the playoffs last season, um, is this a kind of a one-off or a short type of thing, Dave? Do you see uh, with, with with Flurry being on the outs right now, or could this lead to something a bit of a larger story here? Well, we we really don't know because we don't know why uh, DeBoer made the goaltending switch. You know, some of the, the talk surrounding game four was that uh, the Golden Knights felt that Flurry needed a, a chance to rest. He has been their go-to guy to to this point in the playoffs. And given that he's in his mid-30s, you know, you could probably make a plausible case uh, for that. Uh, you know, I think it would have been foolish to sit him strictly because of the puck handling misadventure at, you know, late in game three. Um, if only because uh, puck handling misadventures are kind of a staple for <laughs> Flurry. Uh, you know, they've, yes. they've haunted him throughout his career. It's not like something that happens every game, but, you know, it, it's always a possibility with him. He's, you know, had some really unfortunate run-ins with pucks over the years. Uh but, you know, as far as whether there's any uh, long-term repercussions of that switch, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, I I don't expect DeBoer to even announce who will be in, in goal for Game 5 when the series shifts back to, to Las Vegas. I think we probably won't find out with absolute certainty in, until warm-ups. I guess, you know, the, the people who cover the morning skate out there will will get a clue by which goalie leaves the ice first at, at the morning skate, assuming there is one. But, you know, if in fact this was done strictly to, uh, to give Flurry a, a bit of a rest, uh, you know, it's uh, can certainly conceivable that he would uh, be back in for game five, even though Leonard obviously acquitted himself very well in game four. Yes. And to your, to that point there, um, uh, they did the uh, DeBoer did the same thing to start uh, the last series against Colorado. Uh, they they had come off a seven game series, and decided to play Leonard in the first game. He I, I, the team that it, itself was bad. I mean, you don't want to throw it all on Robert Leonard. Uh, they got hammered pretty good by seven or eight goals, or they, they gave up seven or eight goals. Certainly not all on Robert Leonard's fault. Uh, and then they go back to Flurry. Flurry ends up losing the next game, but winning 
the, the, the other four games to kind of, I don't want to say upset because these are the best two teams. Those, those were the best two teams probably in the league regular season wise, but uh, yeah, it's going to be real interesting to see where this goes uh, and, and hats off to Pete DeBoer. I mean, first of all, I think he's a really good coach. He's on the potentially of the cusp of taking his third team to a Stanley cup final. Uh, that says something about him right there, but Dave, that's a, that's a huge call right there. That is that, a huge call to make. In, yeah. In a, I get, you know, way. there might've been factors at play here that we're not aware of. You know, there might, Flurry might have some sort of injury. Uh, certainly you're not going to find out anything about that. Uh, you know, during the playoffs, you, you know, guys could show up at the arena in a body cast and teams wouldn't acknowledge <laughs> that there was anything wrong with them. I have no reason to think that Flurry is injured, but, you know, we, we can't discount the possibility. Um, so, I mean, it, it was certainly a, a gutsy move uh, by DeBoer. Uh, not one I would have made unless there are circumstances of which I was not aware, but it, it certainly uh, didn't backfire on him. Leonard played very well and, and got Vegas back even in the series. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right about that. And then, but then, then that begs the question, you know, like like you said, he's he's DeBoer is certainly going to to milk this and 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 wait to make a call on the on on the goaltender, but I mean, and and uh, and Leonard didn't just you know stand in there and hang in there while Las Vegas filled the nets. I mean, Montreal came out and played really well, and he had Leonard had to play well in that game, so. It's going to be an interesting decision which 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 way he goes. David, let's just let's let's pull this draw this out a little bit further. Let's say for whatever reason he sticks with Leonard. They end up winning the series. Leonard is the goaltender in the Stanley Cup Finals. This happened to, to Mark Andre Fleury last year, uh, where where DeBoer decides to to for whatever reason uh, decided to go with Robin Leonard in uh, in the playoffs. And Flurry has one year remaining on his contract. Could you see uh, a scenario where where the the Flurry camp might decide, "Hey, look, we this has happened to us two years in a row. Still feel like we're a started a starting goalie in this league. We were a Vezina finalist this year. We want to we want to explore an option here." Is that is that am I reading too much into that? Again, hypothetically, of course, because we, we don't know what's going to happen in the next game, right? Uh, or you know how Leonard will play, you know, if in fact he uh, takes over the number one job. I certainly wouldn't say that under the scenario you laid out that that there's no way that that Flurry would ask to be moved, you know, and and go to a team where he's the undisputed number one, but. I also don't know that I that I would blame him. As you noted, he's a Vesna finalist uh, for his play during the regular season, uh, and he has uh, Vegas in a in a pretty good spot in the playoffs. He got them past a really talented Colorado team. So, you know, if he would feel underappreciated, um, I don't know that I would blame him. Whether whether that would be enough to get him to ask. For a trade, I, I wouldn't necessarily assume that he's he's the kind of guy that I think would really be reluctant to do something to disrupt his team. That's that's yeah. just not the way he's wired. Uh, but he, but it, it, you know, if if he would, as I say, I, I wouldn't blame him. He's still you know you've got to think he's he's coming up on uh, the twilight of his career, but. He's uh, played at a very high level all season, so you know I, I suspect there's still some some good goaltending left in him. Yeah, I think it's really to me it's 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 bumped to the maybe the top of the uh, the most intriguing storylines here we have remaining in in this playoff series, at least from an individual standpoint. Um, for our listeners on the sixty six to eighty seven podcast, you know every segment here in the summer. Uh, we kind of going through some off-season player evaluations, and today uh, we're going to take a look at Teddy Bluger season. Dave, uh, Teddy Bluger uh, this past year in the regular season 
uh, a really nice year, would have probably easily blown past his career bests had he not gotten hurt and missed significant uh, time. Uh, seven goals, 15 assists, 22 points. Those 22 points matching his total from last year when he played 69 games. Uh, maybe not quite the playoff he had. <laughs> obviously, the Penguins had envisioned for them, themselves, and 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 Teddy uh, did not have a point. And I thought the the thing that if there was a glaring thing that that Teddy had trouble with, uh, Bluger had trouble with in the playoffs was was some some faceoffs to the point where it looked like Mike Sullivan was was actually bringing Jeff Carter out to take some faceoffs in defensive zone faceoffs. Uh, for him on penalty kill. Obviously, he's a Bluger's a good penalty killer, but had such a bad run in the in the playoffs against the Islanders uh, that, that that I remember several times uh, Carter going out there, just winning the faceoff, and then getting to the bench and letting Bluger back on. What's your thoughts over first of all overall on his season? Oh, I thought he had a very good season, and you know the faceoff issues were a surprise because that was the area of his game where I thought he made the most progress during the regular season. Yeah, um, he had not been a particularly good faceoff man uh, to that point in his career, but he, you know, the trajectory of his faceoff work was it rose steadily during during the regular season, and he got to be you know, a flat out good face-off man. Uh, yeah. It's, you know, it's, it certainly was uh, disappointing for him, I'm sure. And surprising for a lot of us that he had issues with those during the playoffs, but I don't know that I would let that override, you know, what we saw from him during the entire regular season. If so, there were, you know, there, no. were, there were a lot of guys who huh. should, uh, be looking for another line of work if we're just going through uh, base assessments on those six games against the Islanders. Yeah, and in 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 his defense, the Islanders are a really good faceoff team. I mean, top to bottom, they're probably one of the best faceoff teams in the league. Uh, and but more importantly, Bluger again really he has centered what has become kind of the Penguins' kind of grind line, identity line, however you want to put it. And he and Tanif and Zach Aston Reese have really formed a nice group there, have they not? Yes, they have. There's a real synergy uh, with those three. I think it's entirely possible that the Penguins will lose one of those guys to Seattle in the expansion draft this summer. And yes, if so, it will be interesting to see how they uh, try to reconstitute the group because it it really did become effective. I mean. Uh, until Jeff Carter came along, it was functioning as as the Penguins' third line, and doing a uh, quite credible job of it. Uh, and you know, it's it's not uh, a bunch of old guys. There would you know there is the potential to get even better in, in coming seasons if the unit's able to stay intact. Uh, real quickly, so uh, if if you know he he's also I think a restricted free agent, is he not? Yes. What would you what would you do as far as uh, coming back at him with a contract uh, for future here? Um, honestly, I have that. I mean, the particulars are, are not something I, I've thought of. I, I wouldn't be reluctant uh, to commit multi-year to him, three or four years. He's, you know, he's yeah. uh, still pretty young, and you know, I, I think he's uh, would be due for a, a pretty fair raise based on. Uh, the potential. I mean, you should be paying guys for what you expect them to do in the future, not based on what they've done in the past. Um, I, I'm really reluctant to put a, a dollar figure on it because you know the, the market will be so unusual this year because of, of the flat salary cap. Uh, but I, I would make re-signing him a priority, uh, assuming that they don't surprise at least some of us by exposing him in the, in the expansion draft and, and losing him to the Kraken. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. When we come back, uh, round table time and, uh, we will talk <laughs> about a topic that is right now on everyone seems to be on everyone's lifts. Certainly everyone's Twitter keyboard. 
uh, the, the state of officiating in the NHL playoffs. Uh, we'll be back on the 66 to 87 podcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to the 66 to 87 podcast. And as always, joined by Dave Molinari. Uh, Taylor Haas is off this week, a vacation, well, well earned. So she'll be back with us uh, probably next week. Although you never know, Taylor may sneak in on Thursday. Dave, uh, you know, more than I think any storyline about a team, a series in these playoffs has been the state of officiating uh, in these playoffs. I don't know if last year, or I should say last season, when the teams were in the bubbles, that everyone was just so happy uh, that, that, that we were seeing hockey again, that we were reporting on hockey again, that it didn't seem <laughs> like the officiating was a, a big storyline last summer. But my goodness, uh, if you just followed Twitter uh, you can't would not imagine a sport that is is more poorly officiated than the NHL. Uh, what you have watched of these playoffs games is this worse than you what you've seen, or is it more of kind of what we've seen for so many years, dating back to when Mario infamously called it a garage league uh, for the way that they, uh, some of the stuff was was let go. Yeah, I mean, this is hardly a, uh, a new issue in the NHL. Um, <clears throat> I mean, on, on one level, I have a great deal of sympathy for, for the officials because uh, I think it's an incredibly difficult job. Uh, you know, you're, you're trying to keep an eye on at least 10 skaters if you want to say that the goalies generally are not going to be causing too much mayhem. Uh, but, uh, you know, of, of the 10 guys who are on the ice at any given moment, probably about eight of them are trying to get away with something. Uh, so, I mean, it, it, it is really difficult. You, you know, you have an awful lot of ground to cover. Uh, there are going to be players who are going to be doing things behind your back much of the time. So it, it's very difficult, but, you know, some of the officiating has been really Interesting. Uh, <laughs> and I mean, you wonder how much of this is just a reflection of the caliber of the officials, because I, I don't f find it to be a particularly attractive way to make a living. And how much of it is following the directives uh, that they receive from the league on, on how games should be called. Uh, hey. you, you would think that if, if the league was trying to, impose a, a zero tolerance or limited tolerance uh, policy for infractions that, that the officials would abide by that rather than list, risk losing their jobs or at least, you know, their, their playoff assignments. Uh, that obviously is, is not the case. Uh, you know, officials say they don't want to decide games by calling penalties, but as so many have pointed out for so many years, you can you can decide games by the penalties you don't call as well. So it's yeah. uh, it, it's I mean it's it, it's a tough job, but I don't think it's unreasonable to to ask that it it be done uh, a little better. Uh, you know, it's it, I think it's been interesting this season. If you if you take the the, the year in totality, uh, 
during the regular season, uh, the outcry it seemed seemed to be directed at the pl- director uh, at, at player safety. Right? We 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 it seemed like even on our podcast we multiple times talking about decisions coming in coming down whether it be on Tom Wilson or whomever that that we didn't quite understand, and it is shifted to the officials. In, in the in the postseason, it's not really been as much about player safety as it's been um, with with the uh, the the on ice officials. I, I again, I, I I think that for me, I'm not saying it's it, the officiating is good. But I just don't. I really haven't seen that huge of a difference in years past. And I think there are coaches, and I've pointed this out in the past, like Barry Trotz, who understands that the game and expects the game to be called differently in the playoffs. And I think back to the regular season and just Penguin fans, just use your, just your short-term memory here. And when you, when you watch the Islanders and the, and the Penguins play, the one thing you really noticed was how much faster the Penguins were in the regular season games. I think they won six of them uh, and the Penguins absolutely were flying in that over those eight games, just blew through the neutral zone. Well, the playoffs, as we've said many times, were decided by goaltending one way or the other. But boy, the Penguins didn't look quite as fast, Dave, in the playoffs as they did in the regular season. And that's because of the stuff that was allowed to be uh, not called, the, the holding, the hooking, uh, the obstruction. And it, it was funny that in, in Ron Hextall's uh, like last press conference of the year, he used those words and said, we fought through it pretty well. But <laughs> I thought it was interesting that he would use those words. Well, and, and I mean, it, there was, you know, a, a good choice of words. Um, <laughs> you wonder, is, is there any other sport that would take its best players on its biggest stage and allow the rules to, to work against them. No. Uh, not, not, not the enforcement of the rules, but the non-enforcement of the rules. You know, yeah. wh- why would you not want your Crosby's and McDavid's and Austin Matthews and Artemi Panarin's and, you know, people like that to, to showcase, you know, their incredible abilities, you know, at, at the time of year when you're going to have more people watching games, a uh, higher level of interest among casual fans. I, I mean, it, it just seems bad from a business perspective, you know, let, let alone from a, a competitive hockey perspective. You're absolutely right. I'm a huge NBA fan, and it's it is just the opposite in, in, in the playoffs in the NBA. There is there's a reason it's called star treatment. I mean, LeBron, not this year, of course, but in years past when he was in his prime, all the star players in the NBA get calls. And you kind of earn those calls as you as you come up and you start to play well, and that's just accepted. Much as the way we're talking about right now, well, in the NHL, you know it's you know it's going to be officiated different in the NBA. They want their star players shining. They want their star players in some ways moving on because they know it's better for business. And in the NHL, it is just, it's the same old, same old. Now it was interesting. Brian Boucher, who I have a lot of respect for um, former NHL goalie does a a terrific job on NBC's uh, broadcast. He tweeted out something yesterday. Just I'm tired of the people crying about officiating, deal with it. I, I do understand that, but it's just like decade after decade, after year after year, nothing seems to change. And I, Dave, I don't know well, what it's I, going to take. And that that's the culture and the mindset inside the game. As you noted, he was an NHL goaltender for a, a lot of years. Um, you know, the, it's, it's simply accepted that way. If, if it weren't, it, it would change. You know, if, if the team executives and more to the point, the team owners rebelled and told, you know, made it clear to Gary Bettman that they didn't want, you know, the, their best players to have to fight through constant hooks and holds and interference and, you know, whatever else, you know, Bettman would change or else he would be 
prepared uh, to make a career change. I mean, I don't agree. I, I don't follow the NBA closely enough to be able to say one way or the other what you say about, you know, uh, different officiating for the stars. I don't think I would endorse that idea uh, for the NHL. I, I don't think uh, Sidney Crosby should get calls uh, any more than uh, Chad Ruedel should. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think that the rules should be enforced the way they're written. And if you're not going to do that, then rewrite the rules, you know? Right. Yeah. The difference of course is Chad Rorito doesn't usually have the puck a lot. So I think what, what I guess what I'm saying is the stars do get the calls because they have the ball in their hands all the time. They're the ones driving the lanes. They're the ones usually getting fouled. So, uh, no offense to our friend Chad Warito, but uh, that's uh, it's more, it, it does have a lot to do with Sidney Crosby having the puck, Jake Gensel uh, being chalk outlined multiple times in the series against the uh, uh, against the Islanders, and not just Penguins. We've seen it throughout these playoffs. Oh no, uh, I don't think the, anybody has suggested that the officials are out to get a team. Right. Oh um, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it it has nothing to do with bias for or against any particular club it's just the the way games are officiated in in general i i mean i'm not wild about the way they're called during the regular season i don't think the rule book is enforced the way it should be then but i mean in in the playoffs it it gets to an absurd level yeah all right um uh as i hope all of you all of our listeners make sure they always read dave's stuff he's he's got his new molinary 10 thoughts up and and one of the thoughts up there is one that's Always interesting, and every time I see it in print, it stops me cold. Uh, you know, the Montreal Canadiens, of course, one of the surprises in this playoff series. Uh, but we knew somebody uh, from the uh, from the North Division, the All Canadian Division, was going to at least make it to the semifinals, and it then they become one of the best chances uh, to to finally break this long drought. It's 1993, Dave. Uh, back to the, the those Montreal Canadiens of Patrick Waugh and a lot of uh, overtime wins, as you wrote in your story. I think ten overtime wins, ten in a row. Yeah, after it, losing their first one, amazing. John Leclerc was part of that team. Former yeah. former Penguin was part of that team. But but let's let's start. But why why has this why has this drought gone on for so long? I understand. The, the fact that there's way more American teams. So that makes sense. And let's be let's uh, point out that the Ottawa Senators pushed the Penguins in 2017 to the absolute limit in game seven overtime uh, before falling uh, in the conference, Eastern Conference finals. But Dave, that is, we're, we're coming up on 30 years, man. Yeah. Ooh. I mean, I, I think a lot of it's just kind of fluky. There have been a number of Canadian teams that have made it to a game seven in the finals. Yeah. You know, Vancouver did it against Boston. I believe Edmonton did it. Calgary did it. So, you know, you, you if one of those teams wins one of those game sevens, you know, we're, we're not having this conversation. So, uh, you know, for right now, I I do believe it's, it's a bit of a fluke. Uh, you know, there are some other factors that, that might have contributed, you know, the the Canadian dollar relative to the U.S. dollar uh, might make it a little tougher to attract free agents. Uh, you might have some free agents who would rather live in the United States than in Canada. But, you know, I don't know that any of that, you know, w- would fully explain this this really incredible streak of, of U.S.-based teams winning, winning cups. Well, I think to... Two point, so there's help me here. My public school math. There's two. Or is there seven? Seven Canadian franchises. Uh, uh, yeah, quickly. yeah. All right. One. One of the things that I probably I don't think we're we're. You know, I, I don't think we'll get fired from DK Pittsburgh Sports by by telling our friend DK that Winnipeg is not the most desirable. Uh, place on a free agents list and and really I don't think Edmonton is either so you take two teams there even with Connor McDavid I, I still think there's times that they have trouble attracting free agency so that is a point I think that you t- so now you're down to five cities that teams players might decide going to but I do think that is a factor and I I think that the Canadian dollar 
maybe was more of a factor before we had a salary cap. Maybe, maybe not. But it is astonishing that a sport, a country that takes so much pride in their hockey, and you know the national game is, uh, international play is so important to them, but an NHL team has not been able to crack through and win it since 93. It really uh, is amazing. Uh, do you think the you think the Canadians have a shot here? Can can they can they pull this thing off somehow? Well, I didn't think they had a shot to win the first round. I didn't think they had a shot to win the second round. And they're now two two in the third round. They're in a best of three. So, yeah. you know, at some point it will probably register with me that yeah, they do have a shot. I still think the Golden Knights will win that series. Yeah. Um, when you, you know, when you're dealing with an elite goaltender like Carey Price, you know, that, that makes a lot of things possible, but uh, I do expect that the, uh, the drought will continue for Canada. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I, but I have been impressed. Like I think you have been with how good the Canadians have been. And and to be honest, early in the series, I thought, oh my goodness, that they're just not going to be able to compete, uh, with the Golden Knights and, Really, it's been a fair after after game one. It's been a fairly even series, so we'll see what happens. It, it, it'll be real interesting to see where this goes. Uh, th- that series is two two. We're recording this on Monday. Uh, the Islanders and 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 uh, the Lightning at two two. So I think we can predict that somebody will be up three two when people listen <laughs> to this. That's right, Dave. That, that's right. You you may you may head up our new gambling department at DK Pittsburgh Sports. Everyone's going to have one at some point. All right, uh, uh, we will be back and uh, uh, stick with us. Welcome back to the sixty six to eighty seven podcast uh, here on DK Pittsburgh's Sports Broadcasting uh, Network, and we are delighted. Uh, to be joined by Darren Pang. Uh, you all know his work from uh, just about everywhere. It seems like Darren Pang is everywhere. And uh, we it's a great day, to have, Darren, to have you because there's so much we want to ask you regarding goaltending. And, and, and first of all, the fans in Pittsburgh, of course, what, Tristan Jari had a really decent regular season, kind of his first year as the man after uh, Matt Murray left. Uh, but kind of struggled in, in the playoffs in, in their in their six game series against the Islanders. You know how concerning is that? Should it be for the Penguins and for a goalie making his first playoff uh, appearance the way that Jari did? Well, you know, I I uh, can only speak for my own my own situation and my own experiences. And you know, I when I was playing, and I know it's back a, a little you know, a long time ago, there's only 21 teams when I, when I played as a regular in 1987. And, and, and all I can say is that that first playoff experience for me, I wish I could do it over again. Uh, there were some really good moments and there were some moments that, uh, again, I, I didn't seem like myself. I, I think there's a different pressure to the playoffs. There's a different magnifying glass that's on you. Um, I saw that with Tristan Jerry. i certainly saw that before with Matt Murray, and there's been many other goaltenders that have had to face the same scrutiny as well. So, um, unfortunately for me, I, I ended up getting injured the next year and lost my starting job to, uh, to Al Shebri. So I never really had a chance to redeem myself. Um, but deep down, I knew that in the past for other different levels, whether it be the IHL or OHL or uh, won a Turner Cup, I won championships. So I know I, I knew how to play when the chips were down. Uh, but there is just something different about the playoffs. So in getting back to Tristan Jerry, I thought he, I thought personally he battled back really well. Uh, he was under the scrutiny of everybody after the first game and gave up a couple of goals on that glove side where everybody talked about it. Um, but again, it's, 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 it's a tough position and it's a position that you take the criticism. So where would I be on Tristan Jerry? Um, I, I still think he's got plenty of upside. I think there's something inside him that's, that's, uh, that's, that's special. That's still an NHL goaltender that can, you know, battle through this. And uh, um, the other thing I would have to say is uh, in, in my second year, I, I lost my partner. Bob Mason had been traded to, to Quebec and I really relied on, on, on a veteran guy beside me. Yeah. I, I always felt like having two guys of the same age w- w- is difficult. And I, I, I think, I think having, anyway, I, I it's like having comfort food be, beside you, you know, and, and yeah. I, I think that might be something that they look at. And instead of having a younger player uh, be out there, kind of all alone and so that's just another thought for me but 
I, I do believe that he can, you know, bounce back in the offseason, work on some of the things that he needs working on. And maybe it's glove position. Maybe it's quickness. Maybe it's reflexes or reaction time. But, you know, I, I think he got here for a reason. So I'm hopeful that he, you know, rebounds in a big way next year. Yeah. Leading into your point, do you, do you think it's one of those things where uh, the, you know, they have Casey DeSmith, who had a, had a, a very nice season as, as a backup as well. But would you think if, if, if the Penguins could swing it, that they might think about bringing back a, a a more experienced goalie, maybe maybe to compete for the job, or at least be there as as you said, almost like that that comfort guy, that security blanket uh, to have him there as, as Jari uh, goes through his his second full season as starter. Yeah, and and depending on what's going on with the expansion draft, um, what goaltenders Seattle likes, what kind of moves uh, get made around the NHL, there's still plenty of teams that have great deal of depth. So what you're saying is, is not a bad um, scenario for, for Ron Hextall and, 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 and as the manager, I mean, you know, I think Ron's been through it before as well. Um, and I, I, you know, I saw firsthand in, in St. Louis as well, having, you know, having an older guy, um, you know, whether it be a Brian Elliott or whether it be a, you know, a Yarrow Halak uh, came up through it or rather have Jake Allen with, with Jordan Bennington. I think, I think that's something to, to really look at. Instead of just tossing aside an asset that you have based on a couple of games in the playoffs, um, you settle things down, you calm it down, and and, and maybe you do uh, make that type of move and bring in some experience uh, to go along with them. But experience is one thing. That experienced goaltender still has to be able to play uh, because that's the last thing you want is when you're, you know, your younger guys maybe faltering a little bit or getting his skates off the rails. So you bring in an older guy, he can't play. So he has to, he has to have character. He has to be a a great, uh, you know, a great leader in the locker room, but he also has to be able to play and perform at an elite level. Hey, Panger, what did you make of uh, Pete DeBoer's decision uh, to go back uh, to Leonard uh, in Game Four? We we know that 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 he made this decision one time earlier in the playoffs in Game One uh, against Colorado, and I think that one was more to give Flurry just a, a break, a breather after a seven-game series. I don't know what. What's going to happen here if, if, if Leonard's going to have a chance to, to to stay in the Nets now or they were, were to go back to Flurry? What did you make of that 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 call? Well, what, nice to have two goaltenders that uh, are making uh, $12.5 million uh, <laughs> and both are, are very good goalies. And, you know, that's just another example of, you know, of having a having a great one-two system. Now, we all know that if, you know, if they had their way, they would have, you know, moved Marc-Andre Flurry you know, everybody knows that they, they called enough teams seeing if, uh, if they would take on salary and maybe move him back and maybe even to Pittsburgh because he's got that no trade. But, you know, at the end of the day, that's the goaltenders. They're getting along well. They're competitive. His change for me, um, I understood it for game one against Colorado just based on the turnaround that they had. And I, I think people have to remember, and you guys know that from seeing him in Pittsburgh, he's an athletic, um, emotional um, resourceful goaltender, uh, Mark Andre is, and there are just some times where you need a break, <laughs> and and you know you can see some tendencies in the game. They saw some tendencies. Maybe it was the puck handling play. Maybe it was a, the fact that he went for a premature poke check, which he doesn't normally do. Uh, yes. That allowed them to reset it and go to you know go to Robin Leonard. Um, and I you know it ends up being the right move. So uh, I I would say that right now uh, they'll they'll stay with Robin Leonard. And uh, that, that's just me. I, I, I think they would. I mean, he, he played a terrific game. And as long as everything's okay with his body and, and, uh, and, and where he's at, uh, or if he, can, if he can use the motivation of, of writers on Twitter, uh, given it, <laughs> I love what he said after the game. I thought that was kind of hilarious, actually, that he sat there. I wonder if he took names and wrote them all down and, and, uh, <laughs> and will look them all in the eye, because I have a feeling he will. Uh, he seems to be that kind of guy. But whatever it was that made it work, he made it work by playing a great game. Hey, Darren, you know, in years past, and, I, and I'm talking maybe decades past, uh, in the playoffs, uh, you were, uh, coaches were very, very hesitant to change goalies a lot, unless the guy got his, their starter got hurt, or unless he was just so bad, they had no choice but to try to go to the backup. And that's usually, you're a couple games behind. Over the last couple of years, I go back to the uh, Washington's Cup year, where where they start Grubauer the first couple of games of this series. He's okay. They go back to Braden Holpe. Uh, we've seen 
we've seen Trotz do that this year with Sorokin and with Varlamov. We think about last year with Dallas. Uh, they used three goalies uh, in their run to the cup final. Is this, is this starting to become a trend, or is it still too much of a small sample size with what we're seeing now in Las Vegas? You know, I, I think it speaks volumes about the the quality of goaltenders that we have now. I, I think, you know, and I'll, I'll go back to whether it be the you know Jacques Plant and Glenn Hall day, uh, or even past that, Tony Esposito, Ken Dryden, Bernie Perrant. Then you go mm. even further. You go Billy Smith, uh, Grant Fuhr. Uh, you go Ron Hextall. Then you know I, I, I'm just going through errors of goaltending. No. You know Patrick Patrick Waugh, uh found it found a good partner I think in in Craig Billington. Uh, Marty Brodeur, really, you know, he, he was main guy the whole time. And, and even though he liked Chris Terreri and they got along well and they were a good partner, it was it was always Marty Brodeur. So I guess what I'm saying is, as the years have gone on, I think more athletes have decided at some point during their hockey career that they wanted to be a goaltender. And and, and now, you know, we see that uh, the teams uh, use the breaks a little bit better, a little bit wiser, instead of emptying the tank of a number one goaltender until he's got nothing left in the tank just because they – feel like they're obligated or feel like uh, that that person deserves that f- from them. Uh, nowadays, the, the leash is a little bit shorter. Uh, the energy level, I don't know if it's because of travel. Travel is great. I don't think, I, you know, I don't think the travel now is, uh, is, is any more difficult than what the travel was before when guys were in commercial or traveling by train. But yet we see it differently now. And, and, and I, I think with that uh, comes the value of having two goaltenders. And, and so again, we go back to, you know, you, you go back to Holtby and Grubauer, you know, why do you make a change? I, I, I can tell you firsthand, I think you can ask any player that when you're part of a team and you're in practice, you can tell which goaltender has it and you can tell which goaltender doesn't have it. it it's, it's quite apparent. And some goaltenders just slide in and out of, you know, three week, four week hot rolls and then they're out. And then, you know, other guys jump in and you can just sense the change and I know I felt that when I when I was playing for 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 the years that I played so you know I, I think now you know you, there are times where maybe a goaltender you know that the, sh- the, the the leash is going to be short but you're going to start him get as much as you can out of him and then bang you pull the rope and then here comes the next guy um I, I just think it's more common right now but it's also a real good feel for what you have inside that locker room and the confidence to make the change Mike Babcock changed in what two Olympics? Canada won gold. If I'm not yeah. mistaken, he changed no, from Marty Brodeur right. to Roberto Luongo, or you know, I mean, right in the middle of the Olympics, and 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 they won. So those are hard decisions to make, uh, but sometimes you have to if you want to go longer. Now, if you just want to say uncle and you're done with the playoff run, <laughs> well, then you stay devoted to your number one guy and you you sink or swim with the guy. But nowadays, uh, the pressure's on for everybody, and you do whatever it takes to, to get yourself one extra save in a game. Uh, Darren, as a guy who's been around the game for two or three years now, uh, <laughs> this probably isn't a new topic for you, but there seems to be a lot of talk about the officiating in these playoffs. Is this year any different from, from previous seasons? And, you know, how, how big of an issue do you think uh, the officiating is? Well, they're certainly missing some very, very good officials this year as well. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, is Wes McCauley refed a game yet? I, I, mm. I, I, I don't, I mean, I know he's refed a game, but I don't think in the conference final, I think he's for whatever reason. Um, now I'm going to go back to, uh, uh, Chris Rooney has been injured all year. One of the top officials in the game. He did a magnificent job two years ago in the final game seven in Boston, where he's from, uh, between Boston and St. Louis. I thought he I thought he called a great game. I think he's one of the best in the league. So, you know, they, they've lost some guys uh, because of other situations as well and guys retiring. Um, but again, I'll go back to it. It's, it's 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 overly magnified again. And I think, you know, there is so much pressure on these officials uh, to, number one, call a standard that's set in the regular season. I can't tell you how many times you guys know. You know, there, there are certain guys in the media that you, you love to play around with or you, ha- you have some combative conversations. And I, I remember saying to Steve Coolius, who does a great job on XM radio on NHL network radio. And I, and, and he, and he really wanted the standard of a slash, like a, not even a slash. I mean, literally touching the fabric of your glove, that it's a penalty. And I, I went on the show one day and I just said, I said, cooler. It's not, a, it's not a penalty now. And it's not going to be a penalty in the playoffs. 
So why call it so tough right now in the regular season? And you guys probably remember a number of different calls in the regular season where you said, what is going on here? Those aren't penalties, but that was the standard. You know, that uh, whether Stephen Walcom in the NHL, and they, they just wanted to uphold that standard for the regular season and get the game going quicker and get the game going. But, you know, the playoffs are never going to be that way. They never have in my lifetime, and, and uh, I'm only 57. So I'm sure there's a lot of older guys than me that go, well, this was what it's like. I remember Mario Lemieux. I mean, you couldn't get more people around Mario Lemieux. You couldn't get more people around the Sedins or the Joe Sackicks or Eisermans or, or Gretzky. I mean, that's just the way it was. Uh, and, and unfortunately, now, though, there are so many critics on social media, so many guys that are watching it and making it slow-mo and going public and criticizing it. But I will say this, that this looks to me like it's the most heavily criticized, especially this semifinal, uh, than I've ever seen before. And, and, and of course, as you guys know, we've all been around it a long time. And I broadcast a lot of games and it's hard to call games uh, when it's like this because, you know, you don't want to be overly critical of the officials, but when, when you see time and time again a call that's been missed, you have to absolutely wonder what is going on down there at ice level. Oh. Uh, you, on the pleasant surprise side, um, or, or at least it is to some of us a surprise, or, you know, what do you make of what the Canadians have, have done so far? I certainly, going into the playoffs, did not project them as a uh, Final Four team. No, I mean, I, no, I, I, I did neither. I, uh, you know, when I saw them play a few games, I, I said they were on something here. I, I thought that they played a, a real old school style of game. Um, I did a couple of uh, telestrations and, and, and pieces for NHL Network just showing how often they use the boards, how they won board battles, how they never put anything in the middle of the ice. They flip pucks over everybody. I mean, you know, the Minnesota uh, North Stars probably did that in, what was that, 91 against Pittsburgh mm -hmm. to get there. You know, I, I remember Bob Gaines coaching that team, and they, they beat the Blackhawks, who were the President's Trophy winners, and they beat them in five or six games to open it up. And I said, they're doing something that's frustrating the heck out of the Chicago Blackhawks. They continue to do it. And Montreal Canadiens somewhat remind me of that team. And, uh, you know, now looking back at it, um, you know, I, I look at the different coaches that they've had. I mean, Turk Moore last year against Pittsburgh did a great job. Um, I thought they set something there that was gave them some confidence. And I, I think it gave Carey Price some confidence going into this year um, because he was sort of becoming a how good is he goalie. And I, I know I've got a ton of respect for him. But, you know, if you don't win and you don't get in the playoffs, you, people wonder. And uh, and yet I thought that series against Pittsburgh last year reminded people of how great of a goaltender he, he is and probably gave him a lot of confidence in the playoffs along with the team as well. Uh, Darren, we're, we're down to the, the final four, as we mentioned, and uh, both of the series are tied after four games as we're recording this. Who, when the dust settles, is still standing? Who's going to win the cup, do you think? You know, the other day I was, I was asked that I was on a, a golf trip with the former NHLer Joe Koser, and he, and he just said, he said, what do you think? And I said, I said you know, the New York Islanders, they're, 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 for me, it, it wouldn't be a surprise for them to get in. It wouldn't be a surprise. I, they just play a, a total team game. Now they're getting offense from their fourth line. But as I break it down, uh, the resilience of a champion can't be underestimated. And I, I think when push comes to shove, Tampa Bay can pull that off on that side. And again, I think that even though they're not playing their best, I think they're somewhat frustrated and maybe – over trying or I, I don't know what like I've seen Vegas play a lot better hockey than this but that's when you give credit to Montreal so I would have to say the Vegas and and Tampa Bay um, that's what I would have predicted before this semifinal started and I think I'm going to stay with that you you get a winner do you, you do you like one of one or other those two teams you get into a, I think you get into the final and uh I would I would go back I, I think I would go back to uh, to Vasilevsky and, and Tampa Bay I, I think they I think they could can repeat uh, they have the depth uh, they they do have a good fourth line although I think they can play better uh, I've seen a lot of Pat Maroon in my you know my day in St Louis and I I think there's an a, uh, another level for that group to get a little bit more moxie in their game but it's hard against New York Islanders and I think once you get beyond the Islanders you know that I I just I just believe that the, the Tampa Bay Lightning you know, with their offense, with their goaltending, 
with their depth on the blue line, I, I think they could overcome uh, Vegas in a final. All right, Darren, we'll get you out of here on this. Uh, one thing that I think is great news uh, for NHL fans on this side of the, of the international border is we're going to have two networks doing games next year. Uh, ESPN comes back after a long absence. I think you were part of there at one point. And Turner Broadcasting is, is, is going to also be doing this as, as a, 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 a broadcaster and B, as a fan of this game. Uh, how, how, what good news is this for, for, for sports fans? I think, I think it's great news. I, I think it, it creates some competitiveness. Um, I think that, uh, you know, NBC for their time, what was that, 15 or 16 years? Uh, I think I think they did a really good job. They've got a lot of platforms. Um, but but I, I remember being at ESPN. I was there for 13 years. I started my career there as a 29-year-old. And I loved working for them. They they taught young broadcasters uh, to be broadcasters. And, and when they didn't, like something you did they they brought you in you had seminars uh whether it be from interview specialists or or just going over you know how how to do it whether it's you're holding the microphone mic wrong or you're or you're you know you're not projecting or i i they did a great job and i love my time at espn and i i know i've got some good friends that are going back there include you know ray ferraro will be there i'm sure levy and Boudigras and barry will be part of it but there's there's going to be you know more voices there at espn with all the games and platforms they have but I remember being at ESPN when when Fox and the glowing puck came in. You know, and I'll tell you this: when you're on your own, maybe maybe you, you, you know because there's no competition. You know, there's an, I, I like competition because I think it makes you better. And and I think having uh, TNT and having ESPN out there, um, even though ESPN's got the majority of the schedule, I think it's going to create some competitiveness. And I think it's going to create some banter with fans: what they like, what they don't like. Will TNT be like what Charles Barkley uh, and Shaq are bringing to the intermissions, um, which I totally believe that's going to happen, led by Wayne Gretzky. I think that I think he's going to surround himself with guys that he knows. He's going to surround himself with you know hockey banter, good people that that uh, talk hockey, and uh, it's not going to be so regimented. I think it's going to be more freelance and, and more hot stove, just like what you see in the NBA. So, in answering your question, um, I, I think it's going to be terrific for the NHL and. And uh, and I think the players are going to really enjoy it as well, having having two different entities out there uh, supporting them and and selling the game, which uh, which only makes everybody better. So hopefully you'll see me on one of them. Oh well, we hope so, Panger. You're an institution in this game, uh, so we definitely hope we continue to see you uh, on on any platform. Uh, thanks for doing this today, uh, for Darren Pang, uh, for Dave Molinari. Uh, This is Tom Reed. You've been listening to another edition of the 66 to 87 podcast, and we'll be back with you a little bit later in the week.